Yes, Lord, we ask for your wisdom to speak to us again this morning. Lord, you are here in our midst. Speak to us clearly. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Please be seated. So there are a few things, there are very few things that are more agonizing for a child than seeing presents under the tree and waiting a very long time before you're able to actually open those. Now, for the most part, my children have sort of exited this stage, although there's always a child within us who's just waiting with eager anticipation of that day, right? But I do remember a day in which we would sort of receive a daily report of the number of presents, the size of presents, uh, the way in which the presents were allocated to different children in the family, uh, and their hope was thick. Uh, their hope was palpable. You could, you could cut it with a knife. Uh, their hope was almost irritating, you could say. Uh, it was very real hope. And presents under the tree are one thing, but I think from the oldest among us to the youngest among us, all of us here in the room have something this season that we are yearning for, something that we are hoping for. Uh, my grandmother just recently passed away, and as is typical in, in these kinds of moments, um, and she was 95 years old, very full life, uh, we're very glad that she's with Jesus now. Um, but, but one thing that's typical of these moments when a patriarch or a matriarch of the family passes is old sibling dynamics kind of reemerge, both the positive and the negative. And so one thing that I'm hoping in this Advent season is that peace remains uh, in our extended family. Some of you are unemployed or underemployed, and so this season for you has been a season of sending out applications places and not really hearing anything back and, and wondering what to do in the midst of that. Some of you are hoping for justice uh, with a court verdict. Uh, some of you are hoping for uh, clarity around a medical condition that you're struggling with. Some of you are just simply hoping that this is a, a quiet season where you can take a deep breath and just simply rest this season. So what is it that you are hoping for? Well, when we look at today's gospel passage from Matthew and we listen to the words, the message that have been coming from John the Baptist, we know that he himself has been hoping for something. He's been hoping for the Messiah to come. And here he is sitting in a prison and he's thinking to himself, this is not exactly the way I thought this would pan out. Uh, here I am sitting in prison and he's wondering, Jesus, are you actually the one? Are you actually the Messiah? Why am I here in jail right now? And if we were to turn to our Isaiah reading from Isaiah 35, that is a portrait of what John was expecting. He thought that, uh, again, the desert would blossom in, in lush flowers, that streams of, uh, would flow from the desert, that uh, uh, even the fool would find a way to discover wisdom. Um, he, he was expecting justice to roll out throughout the entire countryside. And yet here he is, literally sitting in prison. So John hopes for justice. He hopes for the redemption of his people. He hopes for freedom and peace. John is hoping for God to come. Now, in my opinion, the things that John is hoping for, the things that you and I hope for, are actually not that unlike one another. These things are more closely aligned than we think. Hope is it's a signpost that's in our heart. 
Hope is something that directs our desires, our hopes, our, our expectations towards something uh, that is much bigger than, than we ourselves are. And if you follow that signpost, it, it might lead to yet another thing that you're hoping for that's even bigger. Or another thing. Or another thing. And I, and I think as you continue to follow these signposts, what we see is that they can only ultimately be fulfilled in God himself. We want a family of peace because we want to live in harmony with one another. We want fulfillment in our jobs because we are created to have purpose in our vocations. We want our bodies to be whole because we are created for all of eternity. And so as we await for these things that that might seem small in our own private world, um, but in fact the realities are much bigger And as we await these things, we know that we are waiting for the arrival of the kingdom of God. That is what Advent is about. This is the season of waiting in which we're not just waiting for a holiday. uh, We're waiting for the arrival of God himself to break into the darkness of our world and to establish his justice and his rule here among us. Well, for the remainder of my message, I'd like for us to turn our focus to the epistle of James Because James is putting forth this question to us, how do we live with unfulfilled hope in our lives? How do we live in this tension of of having seen glimmers of Jesus and his life and his miracles and his justice, yet also confronting the realities that there are moments in this world in which we feel like John, like we ourselves are sitting in a prison. So how do we live in that tension? And the answer to that isn't always an easy one. And what James calls us to clearly in this passage is to a life lived with patience. And so I want us to be considering sort of three components of Advent patience uh, as we move through this passage. So one of the problems of Christianity is that we've been waiting a long time. It's been 2,000 years. And even as, as you read through James uh, and the rest of the New Testament, you can tell there's, there's these moments when they, they thought Jesus was coming back like any day now. And so if James is calling for patience 2,000 years ago, how much more do we need to hear this message today? It's been a long time. Uh, this makes me think of... C.S. Lewis a little bit, the Chronicles of Narnia, you're familiar with this? Okay, I, I've had a habit the last couple of weeks of referencing these obscure movies, and I ask you, have you seen this movie? And like, only like maybe one person in the room raised his hand. Has anyone read the Chronicles of Narnia? Yay! Okay, all right, Rick chose a good one this morning. But in those stories, you, you know that the children discover this wardrobe in their uncle's house, and then when they step through the wardrobe, they, they find themselves in a completely different world. And in this world, years pass, and even decades pass. Uh, they have these adventures in which they're, they're uh, battling witches and, and dragons and other foul creatures. But eventually, their adventures come to an end, and they wander back through the wood. And almost by mistake, they rediscover that, that portal, that entrance into Narnia. And they step through it again... And they find out they're back in their uncle's home from that very moment in which they left. And in fact, they themselves return to the state of being a child. There is this sort of uh, idea that C.S. Lewis gives us that there are some spheres that experience time differently than other spheres. And scientists actually tell us 
that this is true of the real world as well. Did you, did you know this? That time can be relative. That different planets with, with different masses have different gravitational pulls to them. And that actually affects time differently. And, and scientists have proven this. And that they'll, they'll set two atomic clocks exactly the same. They'll send one up to space, kind of far away from gravity's pull. And then they'll bring it back and the times will be different. And it's like, I don't even know as a human being how to wrap my mind around that. But gravity itself affects the nature of time. There's a movie, Interstellar. How many of you have seen that one? Okay, great. Yeah, it, it, it plays out that theme a little bit if you find that interesting. If you think that's boring, then just forget about that. Uh, it's a long movie. But my point in all of this is that God's time scale and our time scale are not the same. And the Bible itself even reflects this uh, several times in, in a couple of places. The Bible says that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. So we human beings who worship the God of all creation will never quite understand the, the relationship between our perception of time and the eternal timelessness of heaven itself. Because the fact of the matter is that when God comes back, it'll be at his perfect timing. And we'll be aligned with that. And we will recognize that. It won't feel like it's been too long and it won't feel like it's been too soon. And so as we grapple with the fact that it's been 2,000 years, the Bible tells us, James tells us here, that we are to establish our hearts. And he uses the metaphor of a farmer, right? So just as a farmer uh, trusts in God's perfect timing of God's ordained seasons, we too are to trust in God's ordained timing. Just as a farmer plunges his seed of hope into the fertile soil of the earth, we too are to plunge our hearts, to establish our heart in the fertile soil of God's promises. He says, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That word establish, it's the same word used uh, throughout the Gospels when, when they say that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. That is, Jesus established his, his face, he established his goal, his purposes on that which the Father has ordained for him. And so we too are supposed to make sure that our hearts are secure, that they're locked into the fact that the Lord is coming. And so the first calling of the Advent patience is to trust in God's timing. So next, uh, James, he directs, he directs our attention to the prophets and this isn't necessarily a, a comforting sort of soft example like, hey, be patient. Everything's going to be great. No, he, he says quite the opposite. Throughout uh, Jewish history, God raised up prophets to call out people's sin. And oftentimes the people responded back by mocking or, or ostracizing or sometimes even killing the prophets. And so here James is saying, hey, that's your example. Look to the prophets. Be like the prophets. Yikes. Um, now, you, you know that uh, just like the prophets, you too have a calling upon your life. And it, it might not be to receive heavenly visions, although praise the Lord if you do. Um, please share that with us. Uh, it, it might not be to proclaim a message of condemnation and damnation. Um, if you do, please do that in the council of the church. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, all of us are called to be God's ambassadors to those with whom he has placed us. You know, our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, uh, one with one another. We are called to be God's representatives, God's ambassadors to those around us. And so just like the, just like the prophets, you are not protected against the challenges of this life. 
As one scholar said, faithfulness to God's commands, so far from giving them immunity from suffering, actually involved them in suffering. So in God's economy, privilege, having a privileged calling, does not mean having a protected life. My point is that we are supposed to expect suffering. But there's good news that comes along with this suffering. James in verse 11 says, We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. He's using steadfast and patience almost interchangeably throughout this. So those who remain steadfast, that is those who are patient in the midst of suffering, were blessed. They were considered blessed. And then he points specifically to Job as an example. And and Job is probably the supreme example in the Old Testament of someone who, who experienced a tremendous amount of suffering and trial. And after all of these things, when you get to the end of Job, what does he say? He says, Oh God, before I I heard of you with my ear, but now I have seen you with my eye. I've seen you with my eye. There's this, out of, out of the, the immense suffering and trials that he went through, he now has this more intimate knowledge of who God is. Uh, the other night I was, um, just kind of, uh, I won't go into detail, but I, I was wrestling with a lot of things, um, just a lot of heavy things. And in the midst of this, I, I just felt this, it, 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 sort of this, this sense of God's presence. And it's, it was almost like a small little like glimmer of light or a little pearl or, or sort of like when your nose catches a whiff of a flower and you look around and there's, there's no flowers in the room. Like it was, it was one of those moments and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, I'm here with you in the midst of this. And some of you have similar stories like this. When there's profound suffering or questions or doubts that you're wrestling with, there's just this, like a hand on your shoulder from the heavenlies that just reaches down and touches you in the midst of that moment. I think that's what James is talking about here. That even in the midst of sufferings, which they will come, he's clear about that, God makes himself known to us. So the second calling to our Advent patience is to expect suffering. But it's suffering with that blessing to it. So one of my favorite phrases in this passage is when James says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Yes, we are to wait for the arrival of a, of a kingdom. We are to wait for the remaking of creation as we know it. But also, we wait for the advent of a person. A person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose stories we read about all the time, uh, who we tell to one another. And he will come. This is the Jesus of the Gospels, the one who turns water into wine, the one who restores sight to the blind, who makes the lame walk, who heals the sick, who raises the dead and preaches good news to the poor. This is the judge who is standing at the door. Do you know that in the New Testament, there's over like 300 references to Christ's second coming? That's like a reference for every other paragraph in the New Testament. The early church was obsessed with Christ's second coming. This is why a part of our liturgy, every single week, we say Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We are to remind ourselves of that Advent truth year-round, all the time. So as Anglicans, I think one of the the crown jewels of of the church calendar that, that we celebrate is that great Easter vigil. On Saturday night, have, have any of you been to an Easter vigil? Okay, all of you must come to the Easter vigil. It is the pinnacle of the church calendar. You have to come to that. 
Uh, it's like a two and a half or three hour service. We're going to do it here in this room this year. It's going to be incredible. But one of my favorite moments of that is at the very, 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 very beginning of the service. Do you remember what happens? The sanctuary is the, the room is completely dark. Uh, and before we've done this at the Parkway Movie Theater, and there you're, you're able to make it pitch black. And the way that the service begins is the priest bangs on the doors of the sanctuary three times, really, really loud. The first time I saw this happen, I, th- I thought Father Christian at Church of the Cross was going to like break the doors back there. I was like, don't break the doors. But it's meant to be this loud, crashing, almost violent sound that reminds us that Jesus Christ has overcome the grave, that he's breaking forth. But it's also meant to remind us that his resurrection life is here. That he's just behind the door. And those doors could open up at any moment. And, and resurrection would be spelled for all of us. That he is near. That he is close. That the door between heaven and earth is, is just a, a whisper away. And it could open at any moment. And when he crosses the threshold. When the judge steps into the room. The, the wicked will be judged. Evil will be put away forever. And we've talked about this, how this, how this is a warning to, to the wicked, that their, their evil deeds will be dealt with forever, that evil will be put away for all of eternity. But also the judge will look among his people for that which he can praise. In Jesus' parables, he, he often describes a master who returns. It's the same concept. And what does the master do? He, he looks at the works of his servants and he, and he, and he puts away those who are wicked, but, but those who, who did good things, uh, those who, who grew his investment, who, who bore much fruit, he praises them. Abundantly he praises them. He praises them immediately. He praises them warmly. And James tells us about this in this passage. He says, when the Lord comes, he will come with compassion and mercy. So those of us who worship the Lord, who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior, we delight in his coming. And we, we hope that we, that we have something eternal of lasting value to lay down at his feet. And so the third calling of our Advent patience to expect the judge, the person, Jesus Christ, who will welcome us in his arms and who will usher us into a new age of celebration and feasting. Now, isn't it interesting that in, the, in this passage, twice, James speaks to the conduct of our speech. And one of the, the, the sort of hallmarks of the Apostle James, of his style, is it's not always easy to kind of see how his thoughts sort of connect to one another. And so as you're reading this, you might be like, okay, why is he all of a sudden talking about grumbling and, and then later in the passage saying things like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's actually return to a second to my opening illustration of a child opening presents. Because when a child is impatient... How does that play itself out? And I'll speak to my own self because my children are, are never, never behave like this. No. But when I was a child, if I noticed that some of my siblings received more presents than me, I would grumble about it. All right. Any of you also grumble about it? Okay. <laughs> I think so. And if the waiting ever became so unbearable... Um, I know a, a certain person in the room who shall remain nameless, and this stays in the room because this person's parents are coming to the second service, but she would open her presence like a surgeon. 
uh, and she would peek inside and see what those things are, and then she would close them back up. I don't want to name names. Um, this is a lovely person uh, who is a, a wonderful mother uh, as well. <laughs> She's, uh, she did give me permission to share this, but again, her parents are coming next service, and they don't know this, but she would open all of her presents. Now, what's my point in saying this is that when, when patience runs thin, we act out, don't we? We, we grumble and we, we jeopardize the fellowship of our family through that grumbling. And when, in, in peeking at the presence, something that I myself also did and need to repent of, but in, in our peeking, we jeopardize our own integrity and our own character. So when patience runs thin, it's our common fellowship that is at risk. It's our personal integrity, which is at risk. This is why James calls these things out. Because he knows when, when patience is thin, a community can fall apart. But when, um, as followers of Jesus, we are called to patience. Recognizing that his timing is mysterious and perfect. That there is suffering, yes, as we wait. But we wait for the one who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the just judge and the compassionate king. Because when patience abounds... Well, then we form a hedge of protection against things like gossip and despair. When our hopes are secure on Jesus Christ, those things are are, are harder to penetrate into our midst. And instead, we mutually build one another up with steadfast hope and with tenacious endurance. And our hearts are filled with the presence of Christ himself because we know that he is close to us and that the door could open at any minute. And so patience isn't just like some sort of like sub-characteristic that we shouldn't worry about. No, it's of, of eminent importance. It safeguards us. It protects our community and our own integrity as well. So brothers and sisters, this Advent season, as we contemplate the goodness of Christ and the beauty that will, that will um, sort of ex- explode across our world when he comes, may we wait for him with patience. Because whether he comes tomorrow or a thousand years from now, all of us someday, we will pass, we will die. And we, that day of the Lord will be immediate then for us. And we will meet the judge face to face. And may he look back at the time in which we've waited for him and see us as people who've been marked with patience. So with that in mind, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we long for the day in which we will see you face to face. Until that day comes, Lord, may you fashion us more and more into your likeness. Lord, forgive us when we are impatient, when we want to um, peek ahead at the promises that, uh, that, that aren't quite yet for us. Or, or in light of our impatience, Lord, we grumble with one another and we um, just uh, allow a, a negative spirit to sort of foster among us. Um, Lord, may we be people who are patient, who can know your nearness, who know that you are close, and who can trust that there is a day in which your justice and your beauty will just be bathed over every element of this world. May we be marked by your patience, Lord Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.